And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Trying to come up with a plan. Well, we had a plan. It was 52 episodes in 52 weeks. Different plan. Plan for a startup, dude. Ah, well, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, with that, I've come up with some tips. I think Absolutely. you have as well. Absolutely. This is part excited, eight. Excited to continue the uh, 52 part series. This is fun. Eight. We're on eight. Is that an eight? That's a five. That's a four and a four or a five and a three. But we're on eight. So yeah. <laughs> Having a hard time counting today. Maybe we should talk about that. But and by the way, happy St. Patrick's Day, because that's the day that this is coming out on the podcast. Some people are joining us on the live stream. So you know, there's a whole lot to talk about when it comes to start planning for a startup. Before we do that, just a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and that might be part of your plan. So we could talk about that as well. But overall, you know, as we as we begin part eight of 52, I, I think people that have listened to us on this show a lot know that we are for some types of planning and hate other types of planning. Um, what would you, what do you want to say before we dive in, Mr. Watson? The plan is there is no plan. <laughs> um, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I think the plan is that the plan is wrong, you know, and that's one of the things we'll talk about. And, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, the story of the shopkeeper that, spends all this time, so much time cleaning the shop and becomes so obsessed with cleaning the shop, he forgets to open the doors. Yep. And that's that's what planning can do sometimes when it comes to an early stage business. Now, overall, uh, you know, when it comes to the plan, we're going to go through some do's and some don'ts and also list some of the common pitfalls that just kind of come up in the planning process. You know, Matt, I, I, I'd like you to be the lead off here. So why don't you dive into the list for us? Tee it up for us, baby. All right. Well, I think the first thing you got to do is is just get ready to embrace the startup life, right? Um, you're going to have to learn a lot of new things. You're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to hustle. You're going to have to sacrifice some personal time, right? Like you probably have a full-time job or, or something else that you're doing, and now you've got this side hustle, and it, it's going to chew up some of your personal time. So you're, you're going to have to make some time for it. You're going to have to have some money to invest in it too. I mean, for simple stuff like even could be just business cards or a website or, you know, just simple stuff. It's going to take at least a certain amount of capital um, just to get started. So, yeah, yeah, I think when when it comes to the plan itself and the reason that we kind of poke fun or poke holes in plans is when you're taking a foray into something that you haven't done before, it makes it impossible to create a real plan. And 
the reason for that is you don't know what you don't know until the moment you realize you don't know it. And I think, if, you know, if you have experience starting a business, it becomes remarkably easier to create a, a realistic plan because you're going to probably leave out less one-time things. I think when it comes to overall plans and my experience in the past is those are the things that kind of grind on you both mentally and on your clock, you know, cause you get stuck doing like all this crap that, you know, you didn't think about, or you didn't need to do, or when it comes to the finances, things you need to buy that you hadn't thought about yep. or, you know, all of it. And, and the thing is, is, is it becomes very easy to get stuck in the sidecar of planning rather than the race car of startups that you want to be in. And, you know, that's some of the things we'll talk about. I, so, you know, when it comes to creating your plan, I, I think one of the important things to do is, okay, so there's things that you have to focus, that you should focus on. There's things you want to focus on. And then there's things you don't really even want to do, but you have to. Yep. But one of the things that is important early is, you know, how are you going to validate your concept? How, how are you going to create, how are you going to, you know, you're, you're going to be seeking resources or users or whatever. So how do you validate? And Matt, when you think of like validating what you do, and we hear that term a lot, what does that mean to you? It means meeting with your potential customers more than anything. Um, what you don't want to do is just meet with your friends and family. who are all going to be like, yeah, that's a great idea, man. That's awesome. And they don't know anything about the, the problem you're trying to solve or the customer that you're, you're targeting, right? Like you've got to go meet with potential customers and get feedback from them. That's the first priority. When I started Stackify, I reached out to people on LinkedIn. I met, went and met with the IT directors and stuff like that at some local companies and just off, you know, Hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I, you know, buy you a cup of coffee? Just want a few minutes of your time. I got this new company and, and some of them are, you know, some of those people are a little more innovative and on the leading edge and like, cool. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. That sounds great. And then some people aren't into that. So you just got to chase people around till you get some people that'll talk to you. You can overcome those objections with volume, meaning like ask more people. Yep. Um, you know, just what you, I, you don't want to ask three people. And then if they all say no, assume everyone's going to say no, because that's not necessarily the case. I think overwhelmingly entrepreneurs have this, built-in desire to help other entrepreneurs because we've been there, you know, and the older yeah. I get, the more, the more help and advice that I offer uh, those with less experience. Cause I remember how meaningful it was and uh, to get advice from others. And I still am a, am a huge supporter of those people that gave me advice along the way. So you can create, yeah. you can create your own little angel network that way. And, you know, and these people will follow, they kind of want to see if the advice they gave you was any good uh, on some levels yeah. too. Well, so. especially, especially when you reach out to them, try to relate to the problem as it helps them, right? Like, Hey, I bet you have this problem. This is the problem I'm trying to solve. I'd love to get your experience. Right. Just like if somebody came to you, uh, other Matt and said, Hey, I know the easiest way to find unlimited.net developers in Cebu and they'll work for nothing. You'd be like, sure. Love to talk to you. Right. Yeah, like, I want to hear you know, what you have to say. What do you have to say? Right. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, if you can serve it up in something that interests them, right. Not like, Hey, I just want to meet with coffee. Like, give them a reason. Get them excited to meet with you. You you did that on purpose. You know I hate the coffee invite. The general coffee invite sucks. Like, it really does. Like, 
if you want to meet with me or talk to me, don't just be like, hey, I'd love to sit down with you over coffee and talk about what you do. That's like an instant no for me. Yeah. Because it's like, what is my purpose of going and doing that? Um, yeah. So uh, by the way, Matt, no one, when they address me, no one says, hey, other Matt. <laughs> I know. That's not, that's not, I don't ever get an email that says, dear other Matt. Uh, I probably will now. Pro yeah. Now, you know, one of the things and just basic startup planning is giving consideration to how you want to set up your business. And uh, look, neither you or I are, are legal professionals. I'm not, a, I'm not an attorney, but there are a heck of a lot of them out there that can help you get started. And when we say set up your business, you want to offer protection for yourself. Um, you can even pick up a copy of Million Dollar Bedroom because I talk. I had, there's a couple pages in this uh, uh, about this subject. The one thing I know you don't want to do is be a sole proprietor because all of the liability and all of the crap uh, has a direct line of sight at your personal everything. So you know when it comes to whether you're going to be a corporation or LLC or some of that. Um, you can you can seek legal counsel, and then there's other there's all kinds of stuff online that'll help walk you through it. Although, like legal zoom, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, and I've had issues with that that in the past too, though, because those are re those are like highly boilerplate. Yeah. You know, and and they'll set up an entity for you, but then you just kind of get a boilerplate everything after that. Um, depending on how you perceive the complexity of the business that you're trying to set up, you may or may not want to choose to speak to an attorney and they can do it for you. It's, it's honestly, it's not a whole lot more expensive than something like LegalZoom. Um, and they can give you better advice about like, what do you want to accomplish if you, uh, you know, there's big, there's different, there's differences between owning a corporation and an LLC. And that's not what we're going to talk about in this episode. Cause like, once again, I, we aren't the best people to advise you on that. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, all the businesses that we own, including the business we own together, full scale, are LLCs. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, but one of the things is if we were to take in funding from institutional investors, they'd want us to change that. Yeah, because they don't so, want ones. Yep. So, so I, I think you know, the other the other topic here to to to, to cover a little bit is when to do this, right? Like, you know, if you have a startup idea and you want to start working on it tomorrow, setting up an LLC is not necessarily the first thing you need to do, but you definitely need to do it before you start having customers or, or probably have a whole lot of expenses or liabilities, hiring people. I mean, you, you, but you don't have to, it doesn't have to be the very first thing you do. Yeah. Now in that same boat, it is something you want to do when you begin to have true partners like yeah. mm -hmm. you know it's and that's a good thing and if you're going to take in money from someone else yep also yep. a good marker for when you might yep. want to do that and you know there's i mean those are those are some of the things that make sense and you're right you don't need to because one thing is is okay you'll have to pay to set it up whether it's through an online kit or a or a legal professional you also have to pay to shut it down so yes. make sure you want to do it before you yeah. set it up or you're going to end up with like a bunch of lingering uh, uh, things that are out well, there. And by and the way, it's, it's harder. It's harder to shut. It's more of a pain in the ass to, to shut them down than it is to start them up. Well, and you're really right about the if you have business partners and co-founders part of it, too, because that's some of the stuff you have to get figured out up front is who owns what and, and stuff like that. So, 
you, last thing you want to do is wait till the very end and then try and do all that. And then you're not in agreement on it. <laughs> yep. So, yep. Uh, what, one other, one other point that goes without in the planning is it's a really, I highly recommend um, a st- during the, if you have partners, uh, uh, well, this is if you have partners, if you don't have, if it's just you, then this doesn't really matter that much. But if you have partners or possible investors, you need to give, start thinking early about roles, like what you can do and what you can't do and like certain things that set up parameters. And it's, those are uh, classified under your operating agreement, which is planning for how you're going to operate the business and keep it simple. You know, don't create these like super majority things where you need five people to vote to see if you go buy office supplies. So Good fences make good neighbors. How about having patience? Should we yeah, plan to have patience? That, that's one of the hardest things about a startup is everything is new and it can be very frustrating, right? You want to get things done quickly and you want to meet, you know, you want to validate your concept. You want to get the product done. You want to find your co-founders. You want to raise capital. Like you want to do all these things as fast as possible, but all of these things end up taking two to three times longer than you think usually. And you got to have a lot of patience. You're going to learn a lot of things. Um, things are not going to go the way that you plan them to go. You're going to have to make, you know, what do you always say? Jump and build wings. Sometimes you have to jump and then build wings. Yeah. Now, the important the important part to know is that you need to have the material to build the wings. Because <laughs> trying to acquire the materials on your way to the canyon floor, uh, that's one other thing to do while you're trying to build the wings. Um, and so, you know, that's basic resource planning. Um, you know, when we talk about patience, some of that is you have to be ready. I think one, I think one assumption that you can count on is that you're going to have to learn a lot of new stuff. You're going to have to, um, adapt to certain things. And I can't tell you what that list is because it's different for everyone, but you are going to have to learn how to do a lot of stuff. I don't care how much experience you have. A new business always comes with uh, with significant learning curve and and no you know, owner's manual. I mean, it's there is definitely no owner's manual, and I think that's people have asked me in the past, like, what's the hardest thing about a startup? And I say that it's uh, they don't come with owner's manuals, and um, you can you should be create with your as you keep moving forward and you're improving and adapting, create that owner's manual. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. It can be basic. But if all of a sudden you bring in resources or your business begins to grow quickly, that's something that you're going to end up having to do. When I say owner's manuals, I'm just talking about basic stuff. Like when this occurs, we do this or basic rules or I mean, there's uh, almost an unlimited amount of resources online where you can grab and pull a lot of that stuff without having to dream it all up yourself. So I, I think that's actually, it's not on our list, but I think that that's probably a good part of the plan, uh, part a planning tip is ask Google. Ask Google everything. Yeah, I've learned almost everything I know by asking Google, which is sad because that means I probably didn't learn much before Google came out, um, you know, but I'm, I'm willing to own that. So this next one I think is really important and plan on looking for help when it comes to setting up the business. And I don't mean just the entity of the business. I mean, all parts of it, like 
Yeah. If you, if you're going to have employees right away and, you know, like use like paychecks or ADP or something like that, that gusto, there you go. Should bring up the, the, those that have sponsored us in the past, but there are, there are a whole lot of platforms and people and service providers that can help you set things up at the business. I'm talking just fundamental gears. And the reason that that's important is that allows you to focus on traction, sales, and getting your minimally lovable product out to market. Yeah, another good example of this might be setting up your website and some other basic marketing stuff, right? Like if you're not an expert at that, you don't want to spend weeks of your own time doing it if you can pay somebody else to do it for a low cost. Now, you got to have the capital to do it or otherwise you're forced to spend all your time on it. And now look, the more, especially if you have other employees or things that are burning your, the burn rate. So planning your burn rate, Matt, what's a burn rate? Uh, it's the lack of profit on a monthly basis. It's the money you're losing. <laughs> and the burn rate, well, a little more simplistic is the amount of, of cash that you have on hand divided into the number of months, divided by the, well, the number of months until you run out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So if your burn rate is, is currently putting you at four months till you run out of cash, I mean, ha know that, understand that and plan for that. And that's difficult. I think that's where plans fail though, because they're overly optimistic. Um, and once again, we're not trying to scare, scare you away from starting a startup, but that's where a lot of people fail is they just assume everything's going to go right. You're almost better to make the other assumption and be pleasantly surprised when everything doesn't go wrong. Um, it's a better, it's a safer way to plan. And it also forces you to be aggressive with things like generate revenue, validate the product. Nothing's going to help your plan look awesome and be believable and get people behind it more than traction and revenue. All right. You want to take the next one, Matt? Yeah, I think the next one is one of the most important things, and that's identifying mentors. And we talked about earlier meeting with potential customers. Um, some of those could end up being one of your mentors. But um, if, especially if you're a new entrepreneur um, or going to an industry you don't know, um, you know, find mentors that can help guide you um, are really, really valuable. So, And a lot of times you can find those through your local network or startup communities. The first time I ever met you face to face, you were, it was a mentoring breakfast of sorts. You sat down and gave me some advice about Gigabook. You told me, I remember you told me too, because at that time it was $8 a month per user. And you basically said, you, you're going to have to stack up a lot of users at eight bucks a pop. Yeah. <laughs> it's good advice. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And it was true. It was true. I mean, and that's, and that's one of the things that, you know, like you look at, well, that changed some of the approach later because we ended up with some enterprise and custom type users later that pay thousands of dollars a month and not just eight. Yep. Because that's that. And the reason that, that some of that matters, too, is that's one that's one relationship and one client to service. Not one hundred and fifty. Yep. And that's yep, yep. where that that would really water you down. Also, uh, it's the it changes the approach of investors. So, um, you know, when it comes to identifying mentors, that doesn't have to uh, always be people that are in the industry. I mean, the first place to look 
that's probably right in front of you is your own personal network. Um, and I think you can ask with kind of a dual, a dual approach in that, you know, say it, well, would you be willing to talk to me or do you know anyone else that, that would? Mm -hmm. So ask for help, ask for help and you will likely get help. All they can do is say no. All right. So now when you create your plan, I kind of mentioned this at the top of the show. Look, it's wrong. Your plan's wrong. That's one thing I've learned is the plan is wrong. Why? Because it changes and business plans. So look, no one's going to want to read your 60 page business plan. Nope. Uh, investors don't. And they want to see like a one pager, like, you know, so, you know, don't spend all your time making a overly verbose business plan because uh, it's going to change so rapidly. Now, there is part of that that I do think you should take a little more seriously than the rest of it. And that's the financial part of it because you got to get a good idea of what you might be in for and when you might need to add expense, how long it's going to take you to run out of money. I mean, a whole lot of stuff with finances that matters because the rest of the plan is shaped by that in many ways. But, you know, overall, like, I don't know, I see a lot of people spend a lot of time on that 50, 60 page business plan. And the likelihood is you, you might be the only person that ever sees it. So do it to the point that it's useful for you, but know that the other people that want to get involved or invest in your business are going to have the same opinion that I just stated and that that plan's probably wrong. It's based on nothing but assumptions for the most part, right? Yeah. So most of those assumptions are going to happen very differently than what you thought. Now, one part of your plan that you can spend, and I do recommend spending or focusing on is refining that brand message. What do you do? You know, dude, you know how many people I talk to that can't tell me what their business does and do it in one sentence? People always really struggle with that elevator pitch. And it, it, even to this day, I would say it could be something I struggle with um, for Stackify. You know, If it's another software developer, it's a little easier, but if you're talking to somebody who's not in tech, you know, you got to pitch it a little differently. So I made an elevator pitch for you because people ask me what Stackify does all the time. And I say it's code that checks code. <laughs> it's true. I mean, totally on many levels, I know it's, a, but that that's part of it. So, you know, and, and look, you always want to make it shorter, you know, full scale. We help people build development teams quickly and affordably. That's, that's the, that's the umbrella policy or brand message that we have because you that that's how you get someone's attention. And that's how uh, you can make people go numb. You know, when you're on your third minute of talking about what your business does, like, well, that's wildly inefficient. And it also says that you might not know what your own business does. So, you know, you mentioned practicing that elevator pitch. If you think you're going to find investors and you're going to want customers, that's back to that same brand message, like practice it practice it. You, you don't need anyone else. Like do it at home, do it in your car. I've done that a lot over the years. And, you know, I haven't, I don't drive to work every day right now, but when I did, I would, I would practice stuff in my car all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Always thinking about it. Is that how you do it, Matt? Do you probably, do you drive around and talk to yourself? Um, when I'm walking to my office down the hall, I, I think about my elevator pitch. <laughs> so your kids and your wife think you're crazy. Now, my dog, I, they're used to that. 
Maybe what I need to do is install an elevator in my house. And then throw baseballs into it so you have an elevator pitch? Yeah, there you go. I like it. I think that's a smart plan. We should draw that up. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, and another part of planning is, and, and you know, the prior episode, the, the one last week that you hopefully just listened to was about how to, some tips for finding and looking for co-founders. Yeah. But that's yep. something you should consider. I mean, and, and don't, uh, you know, don't, don't just assume that you don't need them. And don't be close-minded and say you don't want them. Like, who could, like, these are people, like, they can, they can be very powerful if done well. Yeah, partnerships are always tough. They can be really good or really bad. And, you know, when you're when you're first starting out, you know, if, if you can find somebody that is an expert in industry or has the right connections and all that kind of stuff, it can really add fuel to the fire. It can be the difference of your business going nowhere or going big time, so... I'm going to take a quick pause because we have a really valid question from the from live chat. And then someone's uh, Hector Crespo is asking, hey, guys, he's basically asking, what are resources for building a business plan? I love liveplan.com. It's simple. It's easy. It, the thing I like about it is that it makes creating financials way easy. And I'm old enough that they didn't have live plan. And, and platforms like that when I was in the last college that I went to. And there was like, <laughs> you would take a whole semester course on how to do the financials. And then you'd still, it was still really hard. Uh, you know, uh, things like Live Plan, I don't have any vested interest in, in suggesting it other than that I've used it quite a bit. Me too. It really does, it really does make it easy. And, and it, you can also adjust it easily. So if you're mm -hmm. keeping up and building the plan, it, it makes it, I, if you're going to use something like Live Plan, um, and once again, I have no commercial interest in pushing that, but you get it's actually built for you to keep up with it and make yep. adjustments and literally have a live plan. Yep. So I think it's twenty it's it's twenty bucks a month, and yeah, it's cheap. twenty bucks a month, man, super easy, and it also like spit out different things you need, like one pages the, and executive summaries, yes. and makes it simple. It makes the financials easy, but it also does some of the other stuff you just mentioned. Yep. So we're talking about considering, you know, the, the who, uh, we mentioned co-founders. I think the earlier you can start building lists of potential investors, the better off you are. Well, and the first thing is figuring out from your business plan, if you need investors and how much money you're going to need to raise, or will you need to raise, you know, money now or later, or, you know, figuring all that out. And Sometimes you're just never going to know that, but you may know it's like, oh, to get to get this to scale, like we're going to go have to raise money because we got to build a manufacturing facility or whatever. So, dude, there's so many episodes of Startup Hustle that are built around in, investor stuff, and some of the things we have, you know, on our list here is considering grants and incentive funding, looking at accelerators. Do you need to raise capital, as Matt just mentioned, and to try and figure out what questions investors will or would ask you? I, I don't think you need to get outside a startup hustle to get a hell of a lot of good advice about that. Because, I mean, we've had so many episodes from all types of alternate funding, uh, gr startup grants explained, like all yeah. of it. It's, it's there. And we've named our, over the last 500 plus episodes, we've been very intentional about the way we named our episodes 
to make it easy for you to go find exactly what we're talking about in those episodes. So scroll down the feed and I'm telling you they're in there and, and some really, really good info, especially on the investor side, people that actually make institutional investments flat out talking to us or me or Andrew or Lauren about what they're looking for. Yep. And they all say, they all say something similar. So listen and learn and there's good stuff. So Matt, what's a go-to-market strategy? Well, it's how do you acquire customers, right? And and you also got to know who is your target customer. So, and a lot of this shapes your your product offering, right? Like, for example, you want to start a cleaning service. Are you going to clean one house? Are you going to clean stadiums, uh, an office building? Um, are you going to sweep parking lots? Like, what are you doing, right? And depending on the type of service you offer completely changes your go-to-market strategy, right? If you're trying to sell to a commercial building versus a residential customer, completely different go-to-market strategy. And by the way, Hector Crespo, you're welcome. Glad to help. Thanks for asking a great question. I'm glad glad to answer that. So um, now, you know, you talked to go-to-market strategy in our episode in this series about why startups fail. Uh, it's a poor market that a poor product market fit is mm -hmm. was the top reason. Obviously, they run out of money. Okay, so we eliminate that. And then there, that is like, uh, I've looked at, at data and polls and like actual science behind that. And it was like one out of three. Uh, so, you know, another thing with your go to market strategy is you're forcing that issue, you're forcing yourself to focus on traction, to focus on selling. Nothing validates your idea more and gets people interested in what you're doing more than signing up users or gaining revenue, preferably both. And, you know, having a strategy for that. If you want to, okay, if you want me to invest in your business, I'm going to ask you, what's your path to revenue? It's almost one of the, it's, it's a guarantee that my early, some of my earliest questions are going to be exactly that. So when it comes to a go-to-market strategy, another thing, you know, so you've started making a list of possible people you could uh, co as co-founders, possible investors. How about business partnerships or places like who are your clients? You know, that's part of a go-to-market strategy is who are we going to do business with? Because it really, you know, at first, and I'll use Gigabook as an example, I looked, I said, man, anyone could use this product. And then when we created our go-to-market strategy and I had to sit down and refine advertisement, I said, oh man, anyone could use this product. Yep. And so it wasn't a good thing. Like, I mean, no. it's the, the total addressable market, if it's everyone, that, well, first off, there's already someone else out there addressing well, we, the market. We have this issue with full yeah. scale, right? You're like- Hey, we can provide software developers for anybody who needs software developers. And there's like a million companies in the world. It's like, okay, wait a second. Who are we going to call? <laughs> which which yep. one are we calling first, right? Like you got to you yep. got to pare it down. So when you talk about go-to-market strategy, especially when you're early on and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get traction and grow the business, I really recommend a book tr called Traction. And it's all about traction channels. And I want to list them out super fast. And Partnerships is one of them, but there's a bunch more of them. So like blogs, publicity, unconventional PR, which could be like weird advertising stunts, search engine marketing, social display ads, offline advertising, which could be billboards or radio, TV, search engine optimization, content marketing, email marketing, viral marketing, engineering is marketing, which is something Sacrify uses. 
business development, partnerships, sales, affiliate, affiliate relationships, um, integrating to existing platforms, trade shows, offline events, speaking engagements, community building, advice. Like there's all these different things. You can't do all of them either. So you got to pick one or two of them. And that could be your go-to-market strategy, right? For, for certain industries, things like trade shows before COVID anyways, were super valuable. I know people that their whole business actually revolves around a trade show every year. Um, it, at your industry and, and what you do is completely different. At Stackify, we rely a lot on content marketing. Um, but again, that shapes who your customer is too. At Stackify, we have a lot of small customers. You don't do content marketing to usually attract C-level executives. If you want to target C-level executives, you might be you know, a totally different model. So, yeah. And, you know, speaking of, of seeing and then doing, we started a TV show, start a puzzle TV. And it's the, it's a look at entrepreneurship through the lens of an entrepreneur and, and come check out what we're doing on YouTube. But we get a lot of compliments and a lot of people interested in what we're doing. Cause guess what? We're telling you, we're showing it to you like it is wins, losses in reality. And some of that is, as we're, well, by the time this episode comes out, there will already be episodes live that show our cast members working on content marketing. And that's a big part of things. And, you know, the thing I like about content marketing is anybody can do it. It can be paid for with your own time. But one, the flip side of that is it, it takes time or you have to pay someone else to do it. So you can't just, no one just has 500 blog articles that they publish uh, you got to build that stuff up over time. No matter how many visits do you get a month to Stackify from blogs that you've published over the last three and a half years? It's close to a million visitors a month on our blog. What would a million visitors a month do to your for your business people? And those are those are people that that, that you're not paying for those million visits, no. right? Nope, it's all organic from from blogging and you know search search engine traffic, mostly Google. Yep. And how long did it take to build up that library? It took a year or two to get it going. I mean, FullScale's done the same thing, right? That FullScale gets quite a bit of traffic and it's slowly, slowly growing, right? Cre keep creating more content and. Yeah. And so that's, and that's what Matt and I, you'll hear us refer to as evergreen content, meaning yeah. like it, it's like a pine tree on a mountain. It's green all year round and it just kind of stays that way. And I think overall, uh, when it comes that you can never start too early with that part of your plan. So, and another thing too, is you got to figure out what works. So uh, one thing about content marketing is it's not fast. Like meaning like you just don't, Oh, I'm going to start my content marketing plan. And then, and then two weeks later, you're like, ba bam, a million visitors a month. No, that number creeps up and you learn, you will find out what works, what doesn't. And, you know, Matt, you, you know, in that book, Traction, which is a great book, and I recommend checking it out as well. You basically just listed a, a that was a hype plan. Like, how are you going to hype a business? Like, that was a rapid fire list of ways yeah. to get people to know what you're doing. Now, back to a prior item on the list. If you don't have a refined brand message and an elevator pitch, you're not going to be able to create content. You're going to be in right. front of a camera or behind a keyboard going, um, we do a lot of stuff for clients and they like some of it. It's like, come <laughs> on, you know, you gotta kind of get, and, and one thing too is, is while something like a podcast is, is 
intentionally long form like this is modern talk radio by the way you can start your own podcast and have it on and have it on apple podcast in two days if you sit down to do it but if you're making video and doing other stuff especially impression-based ads meaning like social media keep it simple and to the point like the ad that that drove this podcast onto apple's top entrepreneurship charts was literally just a picture of a microphone our logo and it said a podcast for entrepreneurs because that's what it is simplify the message don't make people guess you don't win you don't win at the image you win at the click and whatever happens when they arrive wherever it is that you want them to arrive to okay so plan on focusing on solving the problem that you intend to solve like that's how your your business makes money because you solve a problem and your plan needs to revolve around getting you or your team or whoever centric on that. Well, and, and one of the things we've talked about in our, our previous episodes many times is you got to figure out a problem to solve that people are willing to pay for too, right? So you talk about your business model, you know, if your go-to-market strategy and your product revolves around consumers who don't pay for anything and it's all supported by ads or, you know, weird affiliate relationships or whatever, that might be the case, but you've got to understand that and understand how you get to revenue versus if you're selling a, you know, a B2B, it's a business to business product and people are willing to pay you for it, then that's a totally different, you know, product and go-to-market strategy. So you've got to under, understand if it's, you know, B2C or B2B, is it, ad driven, like all that stuff. You really got to understand those things. And that's where the pivot can change that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen people shift companies that happens all the time. They were aiming. So B2B business to business, B2C business to consumer. You're one or the other. And then other things too, is defining what it like, are you a service company? Are you a SaaS company? I mean, some of that little stuff matters, especially when you're trying to re recruit people to come with you. And, you know, that that's another thing for planning is what kind of help do you need? You know, you could, okay, I need developers. That's a shitty answer, Matt. Like what kind, what price, for how long, when do we need them? Uh, you know, Warren Buffett is pretty, pretty famous for saying that nine women don't make a baby in one month. You can't just throw manpower at everything. Like if we're digging a hole in my yard, yeah, nine people will probably dig it faster than, than one. But if we're talking about how to start a tech company, Matt, does nine, do nine developers always build it faster than three? No. Why? No, not at all. Well, I mean, nine people can't type code in the same file for, for and you just have more meetings and bureaucracy sometimes of just, you know, it's just like having brain surgery. You want one doctor <laughs> with the steadiest hands <laughs> and that's everybody else get out of the way, right? Like something. All right. Scale that so, way. all right. This is something that that's got to be part of your plan. Who's your competition? What do they do and what are they doing? Yeah, this, this is a big one and it, it can be really problematic for some people too of, being too obsessed with their competition and thinking that like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same exact thing that Apple does, but I'm going to do one little thing different. Like that's not enough of a difference. And you can't, you don't want to just copy somebody else's product either. It'd be like take Apple, for example, are you going to out Apple, Apple? 
Like, no. good luck, right? Um, yeah. You've got to create something new and unique. If you're not creating something new and unique, then why would somebody buy your product compared to the already industry standard, you know, best best of breed product that exists? There's got to be something unique about your product. And it can't be like one gimmicky little thing. It's got to be like 10 times better, or it's got to be, you know, a very specific niche audience that, you know, when they see your product, they know immediately like, oh, this was built for me and I need this thing. You know, you've you've got to really focus on the customer you're trying to solve, the the customer you're trying to um, sell to. But you got to be careful about your competition. Some people get really infatuated with their competition and and obsessing about it. But you really got to find your own. You know, they call it the you know blue ocean, right? Like you want to find your own empty blue ocean you can go swim around in instead of the shark infested red ocean. So on the on the flip side of that coin, Matt, you can certainly see what your competition does to market, promote, develop yep. business, and copy the shit out of that if you want to, people. Like it doesn't mean Absolutely. like steal their ad and 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 use the exact same words, but see what they're doing. Cause if you see your competition like all the time on Facebook ads, uh, it's it must okay work. to maybe assume that those may be effective for them. It, it may work. Now, there's one caveat to that, right? So take Stackify as an example. Our average customer pays us, say, $5,000 a year. So if I advertise on Google AdWords, my average customer is going to pay me $5,000 a year if they convert. Well, one of our competitors, they might sell their product for $50,000 a year. You know what that means? They can afford a lot higher pay-per-click budget than I can. So I can't outspend them and rank well in AdWords because they they can just throw more money at it because their customers pay them more and, and whatever. You see my point? So it, it's also could be really difficult from that perspective, but you're absolutely right understanding what your competitors do and maybe what works for them. One of the things that we did a lot in Stackify's content marketing strategy is looking at our competitors' websites and finding content that ranked really well on their site and then like making our own version of it, but making it better. Um figuring out certain keywords that they rank for and figure, okay, how do we, how do we steal some of their traffic on those keywords? We know people are searching for those keywords. So there's a gazillion tools that'll help you figure that out yep. too. You know, like, I mean, there really are like, I mean, these same tools, these SEO type tools, they'll even tell you what the keywords are that your competitors are using in advertising. Because oh, yeah. Google yep. sells that info, and yep. and that's and what kind of like what Matt's talking about. I'll look at stuff like that. And, okay, so this is where we're gonna our our content creation becomes centric around this. Sure. And also as a as a good it's a good uh, indicator of like what kind of what in this day and age with search engines, people just ask them questions. You know, yes, so what absolutely. are those questions that are that they're asking? Yeah. Um, yeah, and but so Matt, the average full scale client uh, spends over ten thousand dollars a month. That means we get to do all kinds of wild stuff, like start TV shows and do a podcast <laughs> and yeah. and have sweet and greet. You know that yeah, we might get well, to do those again this year. Well, and and to that point, right? How much money your customer spends dramatically changes the type of advertising and marketing that you do. If your customer only pays eight dollars a month, that's pretty hard to have an advertising budget and return on that. But if they spend 10,000 a month, it's a lot easier. <laughs> well, and it's also about, it's about how long will they spend it? Right. And yes. that, and every business is different. So like way back in the day, which was like when the internet had just come out, Matt, I want to, I sold pianos. 
I, you sell a piano to someone once, like yes. that is a product that lasts like 70 years and is often handed down and even yeah. a digital product, like people buy it and they, they don't just come right back. Now that yeah. made me, that's a completely different approach to selling. Now at that, at that same, at that, in that same vein, you only need to have a couple people come buy them because they're expensive. Yep. And so like for us, like in some of the stores that I worked at, if we made 20 sales in a month, that was actually pretty good. Now, and I don't mind being transparent at full scale. Our goal is to add three or four new clients a month. Why? One, we want the right kind of clients. And two, we can't exhaust our bandwidth of available developers to the point where we can't still take care of our existing clients. So some of that is, you know, like you got to think about like, it's almost like a, a negative burn rate in, any, in, in many regards. Now, but we're an your established- yeah, we're an established company, but in the beginning, we were just trying to, okay, clients, 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 clients. And we very quickly refined everything from our billing to cut. All right, well, let's talk about that for a second. How do you collect money and how do you deal with it? Because we were three clients in and we were billing people in arrears. And I sat down one day and just did some math. I mean, I'm talking like on the back of a napkin kind of math. And I realized that we were on a trajectory to have to have to have to have a million dollars we had to we were going to have to very quickly have to figure out how to finance a million dollars or five hundred thousand to a million dollars a month in receivables and we sat down and talked and we had to, we knew right away we had to change our billing practices because we had to collect money at the beginning of the month that we were about to provide service in and yep. Or, or we had to go find a, a way to finance a million bucks, which also was a big risk because it could we could have people tens of thousands of dollars in to our service offering before we realized that they weren't going to pay. Yep. So these are all part you know, of the some business of model is, yep. and the plan. You got to understand. You know, okay. So before we get into what not to do, and you know, we're trying to be uplifting and positive about this. So look, by the way, in regards to the series, we're finally getting into the exciting stuff, in my opinion. Uh, We weren't trying to be Debbie Downers in the early episodes. I just feel responsible. I I actually try to scare people out of starting businesses because I want them to really realize the gravity because you know, when it comes to your plan, are you planning, like, what are you getting into? Can you afford to run the business? Because <laughs> I've had multiple times where I, over multiple businesses, over in over a decade of starting and owning businesses, where I had to stop paying myself yep. to make it, <laughs> to, to loosen the burn rate. And yep. Matt, how much uh, in the first five years of Stackify, how much salary did you earn? Zero. Not at all. Again? Zero. Okay. All right. So if part of your plan requires that you have to pay yourself to live your life, just give it consideration. Yep. Just That's all I'm saying. Just give, yep. give it some thought. Uh, you know, before we move into the don'ts, I want to go back to like the MVP. Like your plan should be, that's what you should be obsessed with. The MVP and getting it out there. And the minimum don't viable product. The minimum lovable product as well. Like, what do you need to build to make someone love this? And yep. you know, that's as that's like as viable. Some making something that's viable and something that people love. It, I think that can be different, right? Well, and and this comes back to what you mentioned earlier in the episode about 
the the person that's all that spends all their time cleaning the restaurant and never opens the door, right? Like you got to figure out like what what is the minimum we got to do to get customers in? Figure out do they even like our food, and uh, they will buy it. Um, before I worry about you know buying the best stove and polishing the floor and remodeling the place, and it's like figure out if somebody likes our food first. Yeah, the smartest, most successful, wealthiest tech founders that you are you can invariably find quotes from all of them on this one and they say things like i think it was like steve jobs that may have said if you don't look back at your first product release in absolute terror like oh my god we released that you know because it was like so rickety or yeah. something then you waited too long and yep. i've seen this happen a lot a whole lot um and i've done it myself you know, I've done it myself. We did it with Gigabook. We built way too much shit in there when we should have done what Calendly did, which was just be aces at one thing. Yep. And that one thing drove that competitor of ours to a $3 billion valuation recently. Yep. And they have I mean, the right approach. If you're solving a unique problem and you reach the right market that's dying to have that, that, that product, they will put up with all of your beta crap and all that. Like I, I'm, I'm using a, a product I finally found online that had to do with cryptocurrency investing. And after searching forever, I finally found the, the, the thing I was looking for. And it's in beta and it's got some bugs and it's got some issues. But you know what? I'm their biggest raving fan and I yep. will go through all of it. I provide feedback. I'm like their QA team the very because they solve the step. problem. The very first paid Gigabook user after a, a year, we gave her what we called the golden ticket. Yeah. And because we had other then had other people paying. This is the first year after we actually had revenue. Uh, she put up with so much crap. We said, you know what? We're just making your account free for eternity. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Because she would she would tell us. And there was a couple there was a couple people like that. Um, Their feedback is know, so valuable. It's, it's easy to want to look at those people as being a pain in the butt. But they're but they're not. They're telling you they're not complaining. They're trying to help. Yeah. Um, that's the way you got to look at it. And by the way, those people, be they, they when you treat them well and you thank them for the input and all that, because uh, as Matt said, it's invaluable. They also become your biggest supporters because they kind of feel an attachment to the growth and the improvement yeah. of the product That's because the they, you're helping. Yeah. You, yeah. And they also see someone helping them fix the problems that are important to them. Yeah. Uh, with that, there is, there is a, a one thing. Listen for the echo. Don't you yes. can't chase every single piece of no. input. But when you start hearing the same thing and it sounds like an echo over and over yep. and yep. over, yep. that's now you're on to something. Well, and now your plan, now your plan can change, adapt, and 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 wrap itself around. That's a problem we're solving in most cases. So you you bring up a great point we need to cover. And I think this is a perfect time to transition into the what not to do. And one of the biggest mistakes that early startups make is doing too many things, right? Like every customer keeps asking us to do this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. And next thing you know, you're doing all these various things, but you're not necessarily very good at any of them. And you may have never perfected what the original goal was, right? Like take Twitter versus Facebook, an example, right? Twitter does one thing really simple. That's the only thing it does. Facebook does all sorts of things, but that doesn't mean that Twitter doesn't still exist, right? Like, you, to some degree, you have to figure out your business and your model and stay in that lane and not, you know, chasing shiny objects and everybody's feedback and advice. 
for everything. Well, it's kind of like I mentioned with Gigabook and Calendly. I remember when Calendly came out, we were talking about it. We and we we kind of like it's 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 a Probably joke for us yeah. now. We did. We were like, how's anyone going to want to use this? It doesn't even do anything but connect a Google Calendar to a booking link. And that would have been the easier play. But they got really good at that. They got oh, yeah. really good at that. Now they also there's a lot of clients and you. Now we kind of pivoted uh, Gigabook to. Uh, to we our our clients and users are people that want something that's highly customizable. Because by the way, we overbuilt it from the beginning, so we have yes. a whole lot of shit in there, and we're like, okay, so we built a whole lot of stuff. Who's this going to be good for? And we looked yeah. at our users and we asked them. We said, why do you like this? And they said, it, invariably, it was always one or two weird little things that they could do in Gigabook that they couldn't do in yeah. the other platforms. Yep, yep. And it and it was like it, it was and and. and, and I'll be honest, Matt, almost 90% of a hundred items on that list, 90 of those, we never would have thought of ourselves. We kind of solved someone's problems accidentally. Well, so, the, uh, the flip side of this is, and, and that gets back to my original point too, is now somebody may sign up for something like Gigabook and they were like, oh my God, this is so complicated. It has all this shit in here. All I really need is Calendly. Yep. Right. And that's where you, use it. you get the flip. Yeah, yeah. You get the flip side yeah. of it too. And you make your product all complicated and then certain users are going to come in and it's just so complicated that like, I need to find something simpler. Yeah. Like Gigabook will help you geofence the, uh, the, uh, uh, potential people that can book your anything. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not what things like Calendly do. Calendly is to yeah. make a, a, an appointment for a 15 minute zoom call, which Gigabook does yep. as well, but that's also not that, that advanced stuff. And that's also, helped us get that is what helped us get enterprise users and a lot of stuff like that. All right. So we're talking about things we don't want to do as much as we uh, poo poo the, the complex plan. Don't skip the planning phase. Like don't just skip it. That's bad. And also don't skip creating basic. And I want to key on the word basic and simple goals. I think those are the Not most like important five things. years from now. Yeah. Like, those are the most important things and the most important things in the early plan is proving out assumptions, right? Like how much money do I spend on advertising to acquire a customer? You know, how many salespeople do I need for a certain number of customers? How many support people do I need for a certain number of customers, right? Like you're trying to figure out how the business scales and grows and how I have to hire people. How much money do I need? Like you got to figure out all the different levers and how those things work. And you don't have to overly, plan those things out because whatever the plan is, is totally wrong, right? Until you start to go through it. But you need to have some basic goals and assumptions. I'll give you an uh, example, Matt. Our goal is to acquire one user. Let's start there. I'm just saying like, that's a simple goal. And that's because yeah. the thing is, is if you're like, yeah, we're going to uh, get 40% of the market. How about start with one? Yep. And, and look, and look, celebrate these things. And, you know, it doesn't mean you stop the, you close the business down and go Mardi Gras style for like a week. Well, you can do that if you want. I don't want to tell you what to do with your life, but, um, you know, but overall, like celebrate these little wins because there's a lot of frustrating stuff that comes with a startup and business in general. And it's okay to smell the roses every now and then. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, and that's, and just like, Hey, we got $1, like, you know, or got one user, or we launched our MVP, or, you know, and some of those things like, look, it has to start simple, your mind doesn't wrap itself very well around 
things that don't feel like it can grasp. It's like the idea of a diet. People want to lose 50 pounds. How about we start by losing five? Yeah, absolutely. And then figure out the next step once you get there. I started the diet on Monday, Matt, and I've already lost eight pounds. Can you tell? Uh, no, can't tell. Sorry. Dang it. Dang Maybe it. it's because you're wearing black. True, though. That's a true story. I'm wearing a Stackify Code-Blooded Killa shirt, actually, which is <laughs> which is a, a primary part of, and for those of you that may see pictures of me or see me on Startup Hustle TV, I have about seven of these. I don't just wear the same shirt every day. <laughs> same with the Respect the Hustle shirts or uh, full-scale shirts. Yes, so, I, yeah. So, so the next item on our list here is, is a really good one. Don't undervalue your product or service. And mm -hmm. this goes back to as well who your target audience is. So you take Stackify as an example. We had like a couple hundred customers that were paying us 50 bucks a month. They were the biggest pains in the ass in the world. And we, we, we did a price change and quite a few of them uh, left. And then quite a few of them just stayed and started paying more. And the, if you give your product away for free or it's too cheap, you are going to get the, the the cheapest assholes that are going to use your product. They provide way more. You have to give them way more support. They're a headache. Everything about it. Okay. I'm telling you. And people that really care about what you do will pay for it. You can charge them. And the difference to most, especially if it's a, a, a corporate, you know, customer that you're dealing with, the difference between $100 and $300 is not much. It's basically nothing. And don't, don't be too cheap or undervalue yourself, you know, charge for what you do. I, I talked about that recently. Uh, you'll see it on startup hustle TV and I don't mind talking about it, but Hernan, so Hernan of the business bros podcast, what's up Hernan. And if you want a, a break from startup hustle, business bros has a lot of great content, but he's got a content creation service he launched. And I talked to him, I was like, dude, you got to raise these prices because you're going to end up with like a whole, a really long list. And he, and he thought about it, called me back the next day. He's like, dude, that's some of the best advice I might, might've gotten because you can get too far down that rabbit hole and then you got to kind of back your way out of it. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, I think when it comes to things to, to not do like, well, don't be afraid of marketing. Um, you gotta, you gotta get out, you gotta try things. I, the, I have three simple words that should and and can define your approach to marketing. Test, test, test. Yep. 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 And you can never start testing that too early. And, you know, it makes it so easy to do that, like on in a lot of different forms of digital marketing, um, you know, and just kind of see what people engage with, what they like. And then you find one that works and it's really can be a beautiful thing. So, Matt, what... I think it's, we alluded to this earlier, but don't, don't lose your focus on who your ideal customer is, not who yeah. just a customer is. We do that pretty quickly at full scale. Like we know who we want as a client. We know who's the, what kind of companies and clients are the most successful with us. And we certainly know which ones aren't. Absolutely. Yep. All right. You're next. Um, you know, one of the other items we had in the in the list here, I think that's actually important is be really careful if you're starting a new business about using new technology, using new technology that you're not familiar with or don't know how to use. The last thing you want to do is spend a whole bunch of time learning some technology. Um, buy what use what's tried and true if you can, right? Like don't reinvent things that, you know, have to go learn a whole bunch of new skills 
instead of focusing on your business. Um, I think that's that's a mistake a lot of people make is is they see their new business as also some way to go and learn all these other things, but all those other things are kind of distracting you away from the business itself. Well, and some of that too, is if you're starting a tech company, maybe don't build your entire platform with something that's brand new. Cause mm -hmm. um, if it doesn't become pot, it's just difficult to find people to work on it. Yep. You Absolutely. know, like when I talked to, when I talked to people that want to, that at seek my advice and we're talking about full scale. And once again, today's episode of startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io reach out. I'll give you good advice about how to start your tech company. And one of the things that I tell them is, you know, certain types of developers, you're going to be, you're going to pay less. You're going to pay less to get great ones because there's a lot of them. It's just simple <laughs> yeah. supply and demand economics. So, um, I, I think a lot of people that want to start a startup go in and overspend. They also underspend. Yeah. It's both. It, and, and that, I mean, you see these companies that also raise like $10 million, $50 million, and then they go broke, right? It's, and it, it could be they just, they hired a ton of people, they spent money on a fancy office, they, they spent all this money on all these things, but they're not growing revenue, they're not getting sales, but they're just spending a lot of money. And at the same time, you can underspend and I think talent, <laughs> don't underspend on talent. Yep. It's easy to want to be really cheap. You look at an employee and you're like, this one's half as much as the other. Why? Yep. I mean, ask why. I mean, it might be a better deal, but it, um, it usually, it often isn't. Like you want the best people, especially in the beginning, because that, that's the foundational elements of your business. And the best people usually come with experience. Don't overpay for no experience. That's one thing you do, you don't want to overspend on. And, you know, in Congress with what we just mentioned, like, I mean, it, I think that at this point, I, yeah, all right. So when I was 30, I didn't want business partners. Now I'm all for it. I'm, I'm like a huge co-founder advocate. Um, I, I didn't think I needed help when I was younger. I just thought I could do it all. Why would I want to share ownership with someone? There's a lot of reasons you want to share ownership with people. Go back and listen to the episodes about co-founders and finding them. And uh, if you've already been following this series, then you already know. But, you know, doing it alone just means you've got that much more to do. And if you're not, you're not good at everything. I don't care if you think you are, you're not. You got to so know what. Don't do it alone. Yeah, you got to know what your weaknesses are and, and find people to surround you to help help do those things. All right. So in lieu of a founder's freestyle today, we're instead going to have a rapid fire uh, approach to helping you understand what some of the common pitfalls are that come with planning for a startup. And maybe you can use some of your planning bandwidth to mitigate the downside of those. Would you like to lead, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most common fit pit. Uh, pitfalls is going to be simply lack of finances of personal or money you raise from investors and and you can't see your business succeed because you just don't have the funding to do so it's going to take longer and cost more yeah simply put that's just something like i and matt i think i see that all the time every time you know and and if it doesn't work out oh great you have a longer runway or you made more money good for you but don't go out of business because you grossly under you were overly optimistic about that. Oh, nothing's going to go wrong. It's because you don't know yet. You don't know. Yeah. 
um, poor, gen, poor business planning in general. Um, and, you know, like even in the most experienced years of my life, these things still come up and, you know, it's just like, okay, I'll give you an example. We send a lot of money over to the Philippines because we have a lot of employees there. One thing we certainly didn't give a lot of credence to early was how, how the exchange rate between the U.S. dollar and the Filipino peso could affect everything we do. Yep. And COVID hit and the value went from being in our favor to not being in our favor. And it literally cost us twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month more just to exchange money. And some of that is, yeah, and it can really, and now it's going back, it's coming back for us. And I look at it every day and I'm like, yes, please go up, go up. Cause that's just like not great business planning. Um, you know, once again, lack of a proper marketing strategy and lack of a dedicated team to help you. Um, so many early stage businesses want to, they've got all these part-time people. They've got like mm -hmm. nine fractional yep. people involved. And the thing is, is like 50% of focus gives you 25% of results and all the way down the line. So I think you're better off to have two people that work with you full time, like that wake up every, Matt, as you would say in the past, this, someone needs to wake up every day obsessed with solving this problem or doing this for yep. our company. Absolutely. Okay. And there are weirdos that are excited about all of those things that you don't find exciting. <laughs> like accountants? Yes. <sighs> all right. How about fierce competition? That, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things we fought at Stackify, you know, with new competitors, you know, competitors kind of come and go or people change their business model or pricing or people just new competitors like you just never know. I believe it was Ice Cube who once gave the prophetic startup advice of big bank, take little bank. <laughs> yep. It's true, man. It can happen, yep. you know, like and, they, and you know, that's what you got. That's part of why you got to know your competition. Um, and then another, I think the, the last, well, I don't think, I know the last common pitfall uh, to expect is you're probably going to grow at a slower pace or rate than you hope for. And that could kill you because you're not, you know, you're, you're going to run out of runway or you're not growing fast enough for investors. You know, some investors are going to look at it and be like, you're just not growing fast enough. It's not attractive. Uh, yeah. And, and it could also create things like down rounds. And I talked to Ryan mm -hmm. Larson from uh, Silicon Valley Bank in an episode about that recently as well. And, you know, like these are the things is if you were raising at a certain rate, now all of a sudden you get, you know, I've invented a word for this. I call it middling. It's like the worst place to get stuck, in my opinion, because at least if you're failing, you can do that quickly and move on to do something else. But when you get stuck in the middle, it's tough because people don't want to invest. It's just not, I don't know. There's a lot of different problems with getting stuck in the middle. So try to wrap your arms around where that growth speed goes. Matt, anything else you'd like to say on the way out? I think one of the biggest mistakes that startups make, and I can be as guilty of this too, is you, you always want to sell your product or service to everybody. And you're much better off actually targeting a very specific group. So when that group comes to your website, they know exactly that you solve their problem immediately, right? Not that like, oh, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not quite, maybe, maybe they cater to this other kind of bigger company or smaller company or this service. Like, I'm just not quite sure they really do what I need them to do because most people aren't going to call you and find out. 
right? Yep. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but they're bail. not going to find they out. Bounce. They're just bail. Where if I jump to your website and within the first 10 seconds, I'm like, oh yeah, they solve perfectly what I need. They're going to, they're going to buy. And to some and degree, that's part, that's part of your brand message too, though. Like what's the it, benefit? Yeah. Like, tell me what the benefit is. And, and, and at Gigabook, we, it took us a while, but we finally arrived. Hey, peace of mind. Yeah. People put more value on that. Like do, unchain yourself from your business terms like that. We found, we, we did way better than a, a, a list of features that yeah. didn't describe the benefit. And, and I, <laughs> And I got to don't be example. afraid to typecast yourself. Don't be I got afraid a, to typecast yourself. I got a speeding ticket. And so I was looking for lawyers and uh, yeah, you got a lot of, a lot of law firms. They don't necessarily say much about that. They handle speeding tickets. Right. But if I land on their website and that's like front and center of like, yeah, we specialize in speeding tickets. I'm like, all right, found the one. That's what I need. That's what, what I need. need. Did they charge you $600 an hour? No, they told me uh, they can't do anything about it. I guess if you speed through a school zone. <laughs> slow down bro slow yeah. down Matt. this was it was it was i enjoyed sharing the last 68 minutes with you uh this ran a little longer than the normal show but you know we're here to get through the get through the real things so you know whether that occurs in 32 minutes or 69 minutes or however long i mean i'm committed to that and I think uh, it is time to say goodbye until part nine is upon us. All right. See you next week. See you, buddy. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.